بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله الذي العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم أخرجني من ظلمات الوهم وأكرمني من نور الفهم اللهم افتح علينا أبواب رحمتك وانشر علينا خزائن علومك برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين Inshallah, today we study more the knowledge of God and then, inshallah, if there is time, power of God. In the book, there is first an example. <coughs> and this example is about a person who is sitting in a room and looking from the keyhole in the door outside. Imagine if a group of people or for example a caravan of camels is passing by and this person is looking through this hole at them. At each time he would only see very little part of even one camel. He cannot see the entire group. He cannot see the entire body of one camel. He can see the head, the neck, the stomach, the tail of first camel. Then he doesn't see anything. Then the next one starts with head, neck, etc. So for him, his knowledge of the whole thing comes gradually. And at each time he can only see very a small part of the whole reality that exists at the same time. But if someone is on the roof and has a vision from the top, he can see all of them together. Okay? At the same time that he can see all of them together, he can also see which one comes first and which one comes second. So it's not that he doesn't understand the order. He doesn't understand the sequence. No, he understands the sequence. He understands that there is a gradual process, but he sees everything at the same time. Our example is like the one who is looking through the hole. And Allah's example is even greater than being on the roof, because even the one who is on the roof doesn't know about the future or the past. But it's just an example to help. Uh, we say in Arabic, uh, in you know, of course, in Hosea studies, Whenever you uh, compare something with another thing and uh, you want to say, for example, this example can help, you should be careful that it is just from one aspect like that, not from every aspect. Okay? For example, when we say someone is like lion, it means in bravery, not in every aspect. Yeah. For example, they say that lion, uh, his mouth smells very bad. So if you say someone is like lion, you don't mean that he is brave. Also, his mouth smells very bad. Okay. So when we use tashbi, when we liken, it's just from one aspect. So with respect to 
examples that you use for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have to always be careful and you have to always say, Laysa kamithlihi shay. There is nothing like him or nothing like, like him. Okay, after this example, now we move on to talk about the knowledge. You might already know, and maybe I mentioned, I'm not sure, uh, because I teach different classes, so I'm not sure whether we discussed it here. The classification of knowledge into knowledge by presence and conceptual knowledge. We didn't discuss here. Ilm huduri and ilm husuli. So ulama say we have two types of knowledge. Sometimes you know something through concepts which are mental images. Every concept is a mental image that we have. For example, if you think about someone who is not here, how do you think about that person? For example, you say, my father or my mother is, for example, so-and-so, or is doing this, or is in this place now or for example, has this a skill. Anyway, when you talk about someone who is not here, you are not directly thinking about that person. You are thinking about images that you have of that person in your mind. When you say my mother, this is a combination of two concepts, my and mother which refers to that reality, okay? So our knowledge is through these images. Even we go further, not only about the people who are not here, even when we talk about the people who are here, even when I am talking to you, my knowledge is not direct. The first thing that I know, even of a person that I'm speaking to, is the image that I have of that person in myself. Okay? It's not directly. We have no way to talk to each other directly in most of the cases. We have an image. When I say, for example, this wall is cream, again, I'm not really understanding that wall and creamness directly. It's through the image that I have in my mind. If that image corresponds what is outside, then it is true. If I am mistaken, then it will be false. Anyway, most of our knowledge, maybe more than 90%, is through mental images that we have, through the concept, through mafhum that we have of different things. And then we have to be very careful the way these concepts relate and correspond to the reality. Even when I talk about myself and I use concepts and make propositions. For example, I say, I feel very happy or I feel very sad. I feel tired. I believe in this. Even these are, again, all through concepts. Okay? Even when you say, I feel happy, this is concept. And then if you are really happy, this is a true proposition. If you are not really happy, this is false. 
But there is another type of knowledge, and that is knowledge by presence, al-mihuduri. And that doesn't come through concepts. That doesn't take the form of a proposition or a statement or a qadiyya. It's something that you understand directly, immediately, without anything else being between you and what is known. For example, your knowledge about happiness when you are happy. I'm not talking about saying I am happy. If you say I am happy, still it's al-mahusuli, it's by concept. But when you are happy, you feel this happiness, this knowledge, this understanding. That understanding is direct, is immediate, and it doesn't need any mental images. And it is always true, because there is nothing between you and the reality, so that we say, does this correspond to reality or this doesn't correspond to reality? No, there is nothing in between. In other words, what is known is present to me. What is known is present to me. And this is why we call it knowledge by presence. When I am happy, that understanding of happiness is present and the happiness is present. Everything is united. But if you say, I am happy, again, this is not the al-muhuzuri. This is an interpretation. When you say, I am happy, or I used to be happy, no. But just the immediate feeling and understanding. Or for example, when you say, I believe, again, this is conceptual. But your understanding that you have such belief inside you, this is ilm huzuri. Or your understanding of yourself, your understanding of me, of yourself, okay? That is again ilm huzuri. This is different from saying I am so and so. No, you have an understanding of yourself which doesn't come through concepts, it's direct. Anyway, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has all his knowledge through ilm huduri, knowledge by presence. Because Allah doesn't have mind like us, Allah doesn't use concepts. Everything is present to him because everything is either he himself or his creatures. If you want to understand this better, I give you an example. For example, if you imagine a flower in your mind, imagine a flower. The flower which is in your mind, not the flower which is outside. Sometimes you have an image of a flower outside. For example, you have an image of a flower in your garden. So the real flower is in the garden. The image of the flower is your mind. I'm not talking about that flower in the garden. I'm talking about that image which is in your mind. Either image of a real flower or image of an imaginary flower. It doesn't make difference. 
that image of flower that you have in your mind, is that image known to you directly or again that is through another image? Which one is it? It's direct. So the, the image which you have in your mind is direct. It's present for you. Because it is your creation. You have created that image. Okay? You can make that flower as you wish. You can now imagine a white flower. You can imagine a yellow flower. You can imagine a purple flower. You can imagine ten flowers. <laughs> Everything you can create here quickly. Okay? These are your creatures. So we are in a sense... Alhamdulillah, being given the ability to create. But the problem is that we can only create in mind. <laughs> we are not able, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say, kun fayakun. So I cannot create, for example, here a bottle of water. But I can create in my mind a bottle of water. This is good, but it's not comparable to Allah. But of course, we can reach that point. That Hadith Qudsi says, Abdi at'ani mathali, my servant obey me, I will make you similar to me. Then Hadith says, I am high and never die, and make you high, living, never die. I am rich, I never become poor, I make you rich, you never become poor. And the third is, when I want something, I say be, and there it is, I make you able to say be, and there it is. This happens in heaven, but also in dunya for some people. So they can just decide to have something here and it will be here. Okay? Anyway, at least in our mind we can experience this. So when we have something in our mind that we have created, the knowledge of that thing is knowledge by presence. Okay? You can have a conceptual knowledge of that, you can formulate it in a form of proposition and say, I have a flower in my mind. Or the flower in my mind is white. But this is another thing. This is your conceptualization. Otherwise, your knowledge of what you have created is direct, is knowledge by presence. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge of himself is knowledge by presence. His knowledge of the world he has created is also knowledge by presence. So everything is present for him. And even there is no chance of mistake here because mistake comes when you have a concept, you have an image, then we want to know whether it corresponds to the reality or not. But when it is direct, there is no mistake. So this is one way of understanding the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another way is to say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not limited to any time or any space. So it means that he is with everything. And everything is with him. Okay, of course when I say everything is with him, not in the sense that being equal to him. I, in the sense that he's not absent. Nothing is absent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing is hidden from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing is far from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? So, there is no chance of ignorance. Why we don't know something? We don't know something either because it's not 
present in the same time that I am present, or it's not present in the same space that I am present, or even if it is the same space and same time, I don't have direct contact, so it's hidden. Maybe there is something inside this computer that I am not really encountering with, okay? So although roughly we say we are in the same place, meaning room, but we are not in the same place because it's in another space and I am in another space and we are not even encountering. With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is nothing far from him, nothing separate from him, nothing being before him or after him. So everything is present and it is known to him. Also, if you remember, we said every good thing, every perfection which exists in this world come from him. Okay? They come from him. If we have knowledge, if we have knowledge of sciences, philosophy, I don't know, chemistry, biology, all these things, and on top of us and scientists, you know, we have prophets who have knowledge. They were informing people about the unseen, about the future. So where does this knowledge come from? We said the source is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So whatever exists here, he must have it and more. Because what we have here is just part of the knowledge of Allah, which is given to us. So, because we have knowledge, so he must have knowledge. Our knowledge is limited. His knowledge doesn't have limit. Or, you know, if you remember, we talked about Burhan and Nazm. Again, Burhan and Nazm, argument from design, proves that he must have also knowledge. Because we said that this very advanced and sophisticated and complex order needs an intelligent designer. So it shows that that designer must be knowledgeable. Otherwise, he could not have created this complex and sophisticated world. So you can use different arguments to prove the knowledge of God. And I want to mention something and that is about the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has of himself and his creatures. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has knowledge of himself. Yeah? If we have knowledge of ourselves, so he must have perfect knowledge of himself. It's not that Allah doesn't know about himself. He knows about himself. But the knowledge of Allah of himself is not different from the existence of Allah from himself or is not ex different from the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As we said last week or the week before, Ibaratuna shatta wa husnuka wahidu kullun ila al jamale yushiro. We may use different notions, but they all refer to the same reality. We have one simple, and simple means not compound, means basit. We have one simple reality. We say this simple reality has absolute being, has absolute knowledge, has absolute power. But it's one reality. Knowledge of Allah is not different from his essence. 
So he has essential knowledge of himself. He has also essential knowledge of us. And that essential knowledge of us is eternal. Even before we are created, he has that knowledge of us. Because when we say before we are created, it is for us who are in the control of time. For him, there is no before. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in his essence, he knows everything that he has created or is going to create. He knows everything. That is not something which is going to be added to his knowledge. Because if you say he is going to learn, his knowledge is going to increase, it means that he is then needy, he is changeable, he is subject to changes, and this is not the case. So he has a type of knowledge of us which is essential. This is sefatezat. But also we can consider the knowledge of God as sefatefil, as a quality of action. And that is the concept that we can abstract when something is created by God. So when something is created today, then God knows it. So God knows that you were born, for example, today, or you have been given a child today, okay? This knowledge comes to reality, which, of course, the reality is our abstraction, today. Yesterday, God didn't know that you were born today. <laughs> in this sense, not in an essential sense. In the essential sense, he knows that when are you going to be born. But this knowledge that exists today didn't exist yesterday because you are born today, not yesterday. Okay? So, you are able to consider elm of God as a quality of essence. You can consider it as a quality of action. If you consider it as a quality of essence, it's eternal. If you consider it as a quality of action, then the ma'alum, what is known, must exist so that this elm can be abstracted from the relation which is between God and that subject. Because this relation has two sides, and one side comes in a certain time and a space, so the knowledge comes in a certain time and a space. Okay? Without God being changed, without God being subject to the changes which happen on the other side. It's only the relation which is changing. So, you have to remember there are two ways of thinking about God's knowledge. The next quality that we want to study today is Qudra. Qudratullah. Al-Qudra, power, in kalam, in theology, has a specific definition. What do we mean by power? What do we mean by Qudra? They say, Al-Qudra, kawnu al-fa'il, bihaythu idha sha'a fa'al, wa idha lam yasha' lam yaf'al. This is the technical definition. When the agent has a position that when 
the agent wills acts and when he doesn't will he doesn't act they say he has power he has qudra so it's about an agent that not only does something but also he does something according to his will this is very important maybe a robot is doing something but we don't say in theological sense robot has qudra okay maybe it has force but it has no qudra because qudra is to be in a situation that you decide to do and then you do it or you decide not to do and you don't do it even it's not important that you do it to have qudra you don't need to do when you are in a situation that you can will and do or will and not to do that's qudra okay so the one who has qudra doesn't need to do things like for example we have power of moving these change, uh, chairs even if we don't move them we have the power okay so when the agent has this condition this quality that if he wants he does if he doesn't want he doesn't do this is qudra for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala qudra is absolute our qudra is very limited but allah's qudra is absolute he can do everything in the quran great emphasis has been put on several qualities of god one is rahma of god which is very much emphasized on we have a paper with my wife called image of god in the quran and we have given a diagram of the qualities of god so about 600 cases an adjective related to rahma is mentioned after rahma the most frequently mentioned quality of god is knowledge knowledge of god and then power of god these are very important inshallah i can uh, send you the paper uh, inshallah to be circulated by email in surah talaq at the end of surah talaq allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says allah alladhi khalaqa sab'a thamawatin وَمِنَ الْأَرْضِ مِثْلَهُنَّ يَتَنَزَّلُ الْأَمْرُ بَيْنَهُنَّ لِتَعْلَمُ God is the one who created seven heavens and from the earth the same means seven earth يَتَنَزَّلُ الْأَمْرُ بَيْنَهُنَّ The affairs come down from the skies to the earth so that you know why this world is created? So that you know. Know what? لِتَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٌ وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ قَدْ أَحَاطَ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عِلْمًا So that you know two things. One is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encompasses everything with his knowledge and he is capable of doing everything. So it means knowing his unlimited knowledge and knowing his unlimited power are very important. 
Okay? Because without knowing these two things, we cannot have proper understanding of God and we cannot have proper behavior. If you know that God is aware of everything and He's capable of doing everything, then you can put your trust in Him and also you will watch everything that you do and you say and you think, you believe, you in, your intentions, everything you will be careful. Anyway, the Quran has great emphasis on power of God and knowledge of God. And to prove the knowledge of God, we follow different arguments. Many of them can repeat here. For example, we have power. Human beings have great power, although compared to the power of God is nothing, but still we can do many, many things. Okay? Where does this power come from? It comes from God. So he must have more power than us. All the things that happen in the nature, all the things that animals do, you know, birds do, plants do, all the things that, uh, for example, even uh, non-living beings do, for example, you can have the power of water, okay, to m make electricity. All this power, all the power which is in fuel, all these powers and forces, whether it's by will or not being will, whether it's power or it's just force, they all come from God. Like anything which happens in your mind, it comes from you. If in your mind there is an elephant who is able to carry something, where does the power of elephant come from? It's coming from you. So everything comes from the source, which is God. So we cannot think that we have power, but this power is not coming from God. So this is one way. The other way is, for example, to look at it from Burhane Nazm and say, who has created this sophisticated order? The one who has knowledge and power. Because without power, you cannot create even if you have knowledge. Or, for example, Burhane Fetrat. We said, you know, every person in his or her uh, innate knowledge knows that God is there, is aware, and is able to help. So the power is known through Burhane Fetrat. It's not difficult to understand the power of God. The main thing is to understand few things about the power of God. One thing that sometimes you know, people don't understand, don't get it right, is when we say God has power for doing everything, it doesn't mean that we expect from God to do impossible things. We say, He's capable of doing everything. So there must be something. There must be something that you can conceive, something which is possible, not something which is paradoxical, something which is contradiction. For example, you say, can God make two plus two five? You say, Two plus two is four. And this is a logical impossibility to have two plus two, five. You cannot measure the power of God by asking him to do something which is impossible. Something which is impossible doesn't happen. Like what? For example, I tell you that there is a person who is very, very, very 
established, well-known mathematician. You can ask him about anything in mathematics. And he gives you the answer. Then you say, okay, I have a question to test him. So when you meet him, you say, can you make 2 plus 2, 5? He says, no. He says, so you don't know anything. No, this is childish. That you want to understand someone's knowledge of mathematics by asking him to do something which is impossible okay when we are talking about power it's about something which in itself doesn't involve contradictions something which is not mumtana which is not impossible can god make a partner for himself can god create another god if you understand really what you are saying you would know that what you say doesn't make sense. Because another God means he has to be necessary being. Then how a necessary being can be created? It doesn't make sense. Okay? Make a triangle a square. Triangle cannot be a square. A square cannot be triangle. If you know what is triangle and what is a square, you would not ask such questions. Can God make a rock which is bigger than himself? It's impossible. How a creature of God can be bigger than God? So when we say God is capable of doing everything, is everything which is possible. The second point, when we say God is capable of doing everything, it doesn't mean that he actually does everything. No. First of all, it's impossible to do everything that you can do. Why? Because always power means to do or not to do. You have power for both. So you always can take one option. Either you decide to do or you decide not to do. Although you have power for both. So no one does everything that he can do. Because we decide one side. So God may decide to do or may decide not to do. Depending on his hikmah that inshallah we will talk about it. So we should not think that everything that uh, God is able to do, he will do. For example, is God capable of doing injustice? This is a question, very difficult question. It's not in the book, but maybe it's good exercise for you. Is God able to do injustice or not? Injustice by itself is not impossible. Injustice is not like making two plus two five. Okay? And this is why we can do injustice, and we do injustice, unfortunately. We do zolm. If zolm was like making two plus two, five, we were not able to doing zolm. So it means zolm is possible, okay? It means that zolm in itself doesn't contradict, uh, involve any contradiction, doesn't contradict itself or anything, okay? So injustice is possible. And everything which is possible, God can do. But God never does injustice so now you learn another concept 
And that is the concept of muhale wuqu'i. We have muhale dhati and muhale wuqu'i. Sometimes something is impossible in itself by its essence, like two plus two becoming five. Sometimes something in itself, it's not impossible, but to be issued from God, to be committed by God, for example, it's impossible. It can have also other cases of muhale wuqui. So, for God to do injustice is possible in essence, in the sense that injustice is something which is possible. But God never does injustice. Why? Because every action, even if it is possible logically, has to have some resemblance with the agent. There must be something in the agent that would drive him to this. For God who is perfect, there is no chance of committing injustice. Not that because he doesn't have power. It's because it doesn't suit his nature. Do you understand? This is we call it muhale wuqui. Because who is doing zulm? The one who is weak, the one who is needy, the one who is ignorant. Because sometimes people do injustice because they don't know. If they knew, they wouldn't have done injustice. Sometimes they know, but they are weak. They have limitations. They think by zulm they become richer. By zulm they become powerful. By zulm they can gain control. Or sometimes they have bad character. They are bad people. They enjoy people suffering. In the case of Allah, there is no ignorance. There is no vicious nature. There is no also incompetence. The only one who needs to do injustice is the one who is za'if, who is weak. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never do injustice. Because injustice has nothing to do with that beautiful, perfect nature of God. Okay? You understand? Although injustice in itself is not like 2 plus 2 becoming 5. Injustice in itself is something possible and this is why it happens. Do you understand? Okay. So, first, God has capability and power to do everything, but everything means everything which is possible. And we mean by possible here to be in itself possible, logically impossible. Second thing, God has capability of doing everything, but it's not that everything that he's able to do, he will do it. He will do certain things according to his will, and he would not do other things according to his will. Or he decides when to do it. He decides where to do it. Maybe he sends rain in one place and doesn't send rain to another place. Maybe he sends rain today and not, for example, yesterday. So he is not forced. He decides when, where, how to do things and whether to do things or not. 
And also, I said, there are things that are possible in themselves, but they will not be issued from God. Issue, I, I'm using issue in the sense of sodur. It's a term we use in philosophy. Issuance means sodur. La yastur. They don't come from God. They are not issued from God. And we explain the difference between muhale dhati and muhale wuqui. The next thing is about hikmah of God. If you have many questions, I stop here. If you have just one, two questions, I can mention hikmah. Do you have many questions or just? Okay. So maybe I also explain hikmah and then we stop because I think we can stop maybe five minutes for questions. The next quality of God is hikmah, wisdom. Wisdom is used in different senses. Sometimes, for example, Allah Mahalli says, sometimes hikmah is used in the sense of knowing everything. So it's a type of knowledge. But something which is normally meant by hikmah is to know the best way that things can be. To know the best system. To know the best order. Here, in both cases, Hikmah is taken as a part of knowledge. Sometimes it is used as a kind of quality of action in the sense that you do things which is the best. You do things which is meaningful and purposeful. Hakim, if I want to make it very simple. Hakim is the one that is aware of what he is doing. So first of all, he's aware. Secondly, he is aware of the things that need to be done. So he knows the priority. He knows what is the best. And then he does the best thing which is possible. He does the best thing which serves the purpose. This is Hakim. So Hakim is not doing things only because he wants to keep himself busy. Unfortunately, sometimes people do things just because they can do it. Okay? It's like, for example, I know how to drive and I have a car, so I just start driving. This doesn't make sense. You just start driving without having any purpose. Maybe your purpose is, for example, you want to enjoy driving. That's another thing. That Again, it's a purpose. But even if you don't want to drive for enjoying driving, and you are just driving without knowing why, this is not what a rational person do, what's, what a wise person do. A wise person has reason for everything. Okay? With respect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there was a discussion, very hot debate among some schools of 
theologians, some schools of mutakallimin. Some had the idea that God does not have any purpose in his actions. In Arabic we say qarad. Okay, qarad. So they say the actions of God are not mu'allalatan bil-aghraz. Laysat af'alullah mu'allalatan bil-aghraz. God has no purpose in his actions. Do you know why they had this idea? You can guess. Because they thought having a purpose makes God needy. Yeah? We human beings have purpose in doing things because we are needy. We make a chair because we want to sit on it and have comfort. Or we want to sell it, make money. Okay? So we have a purpose. But God doesn't have any need. So they thought in this way they are serving God's needlessness, God's richness, by saying that he doesn't have any purpose. But then Shiite theologians and some Sunni, but the Shiite theologians, all of them, and especially then philosophers, they had the idea that God's actions have purpose. It's not that they are done without purpose, without thinking, without understanding, without aiming, without having purpose. There is purpose. But the purpose is not to benefit God. This is the problem. If you think that God has a purpose and that is to benefit himself, to serve himself, that's the problem. But if the purpose is to benefit others, this is not a problem. This is not a sign of need. Okay? So, God creates things, does things with very, very specific purpose in his knowledge. But all the things that are going to happen as a result of these actions are not for himself, <clears throat> are for his creatures. <clears throat> in Farsi, we have a very beautiful poem which says, Man nakardam khalq ta soodi kuna. I have not created the people in order to benefit. I have created in order to show my generosity. Okay? So sometimes a teacher teaches in order to gain salary, in order to gain respect, in order to increase his knowledge or in order to make sure that he doesn't forget so sometimes a teacher through teaching gains something but sometimes a teacher only teaches because he wants knowledge to be spread he doesn't want any person suffer from ignorance okay so if a teacher is teaching in order to just help people can you say he has no purpose he has purpose, but the purpose is not to benefit himself. 
a doctor, a medical doctor, can see the patients and help them, sometimes because of money, sometimes because he wants to gain experience, he wants, I don't know, to build his CV, I don't know, he wants respect. Okay, this is possible. But sometimes maybe we have a doctor who doesn't need money, who doesn't need any recognition, very well established, okay? But he loves to help people who are ill. He doesn't want anyone to suffer from illness. So he has purpose. And actually his purpose is higher. So God has purpose. But the purpose is not selfish, is not uh, uh, based on self-interest. So this is about the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inshallah, we will continue this discussion. And especially we have to talk about why there are some things in the world that we don't understand, some problems, some evil. This is something that maybe one, two sessions we will talk, inshallah. وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين